Okay, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. And last week we ended in verse 8, and I read it again to set the context for today's study and broadcast. And the dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spirit is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified. Their dead bodies concerning the two witnesses. Could be Moses, could be Elijah. And I was spending some time looking at these verses over the past uh, few days in preparation for today's service. And I want to say this at the beginning, that much of Revelation overlaps. We call that parenthesis. And it's very important that we keep that in mind. Satan slash Judas would kill Jesus. Satan slash Antichrist will kill the two witnesses. But Jesus later will kill Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Also from chapter 10, Verse 6, it says, there shall be time no longer. And I was thinking about this a few days ago, that there should be time no longer. Time will cease to exist. And I was thinking to myself this, that at the end of the Old Testament, it speaks about Moses and Elijah coming. In fact, keep your hand in Revelation 11 and go back to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And I was Think to myself this, that for the Jews which don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very much like they have been kept in midair on a cliffhanger. Uh, if you watch these soap operas, at the end of each season they end on a cliffhanger. And you have to tune in at the beginning of the next season to get to the, uh, uh, the end of the storyline, to understand what the plot was, to see how it all plays out. And for the Jews, they are very much in midair. It's like time has stood still for them. Malachi chapter 4, look at verse 4, please. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horab for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Moses, a good clue as to who one of the two witnesses will be. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Elijah, another good contester, another good uh, candidate, I should say, for one of the two witnesses. And when you look at Malachi, you are told in verse 4 that Moses could be perhaps one of the two witnesses, along with Elijah. But also of interest to me will be the last word, curse. And if you go back to Genesis, the last... A couple of words in Genesis speaks about Egypt, I think, Egypt. And before Egypt, it speaks about a, uh, a coffin. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Coffin, of course, denotes death. Malachi 4, 6, one final time. And he, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, partly pictured in John the Baptist, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse, picturing the second coming. So keep that thought in mind if you will, but go back to my earlier thought. There should be time no longer. So for the Jews, they rejected the Messiah, and the Lord gave them several chances to be reconciled, to be forgiven, and they turned him down numerous times. So as far as the Lord is concerned, Israel as a nation has been on hold, very much in midair. And therefore, when the two witnesses arrive, they will preach for a thousand two hundred and three score days, which is three and a half years, comma, 
clothed in sackcloth. It's like time has stood still. And that's why I gave you this scripture from Revelation 10, 6, how there should be time no longer. But from our point of view, over 2,000 years has been and gone. And yet, as far as the Lord is concerned, time has stood still. And now he's going to turn back to Israel. Also from Revelation 11, 2, you've got this reference to the Gentiles, which will tread underfoot the holy city, being Jerusalem, for 40 and two months, three and a half years. Now the Lord came the first time and he preached for three and a half years. The Antichrist, which means he stands in the place of the Christ, against the Christ, being Jesus, of course, will be on the earth for three and a half years. He's a great counterfeit. And the Jews will think he's the Messiah. The Catholics will think he is Christ returned. Uh, the Buddhists will receive him. And so too are the Muslims as the 12th Imam. And yet, of course, we know him as the Antichrist. Also from 11.3, these two witnesses are referred to as my witnesses, not Jehovah's Witnesses in the sense of the Watchtower Brigade, but in the context of the Lord's true witnesses. And I made the case last week that for those of us which are saved, we too are Jehovah's Witnesses. Keep those thoughts in mind, and I may come back and offer some more thoughts as we go through today's service. I have got half a page of notes to refer to. If I get time, I will certainly uh, refer to such. But we began with their dead bodies, 11.8, concerning the two witnesses, which are lying in the streets of the great city, Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, because the Antichrist is ruling and reigning, and according to the book of Daniel, which I showed you last week, is quite likely a homosexual, where also our Lord was crucified. Keep that thought and those points in mind, and that will help us to further expound the book of Revelation. Look at verse 9, please. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see the dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer the dead bodies to be put in graves. Global contempt, once again, Keep your hand in Revelation 11 and go back to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, I think it's verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, Jesus Christ, and every eye shall see him. Tribulation saints, comma, and they also which pierced him. Being the Romans, of course, they were in power the first time and they'll be in power the second time. Referred to as the Roman Catholic Church. Colon. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. To wail is a very strong term to denote anguish, anxiety, dread. And for such people, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, they have no interest in receiving the Lord whatsoever. And on top of that, they are going to dread his return. So the next time you pray for the Lord's return which is very scriptural, I might add. Just keep in mind that when he does come back, he's going to massacre two billion directly and indirectly. But 11.9, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies, two witnesses, three days and a half. Very much reminiscence of the Lord, three days and a half in the tomb. And shall not suffer the dead bodies to be put in graves. They won't allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. One of the worst things you could do back in antiquity, back in the ancient world, would be to kill a person, take his or her head off, and then leave their dead bodies discarded on the streets. And 
Back in the Dark Ages, some of the Protestant divines were murdered by the papacy, and there are several accounts of different popes digging up the bones of dead Protestant divines and interrogating such people that had been dead for, in some cases, months, if not years. And of course, those popes were either mentally insane or demon-possessed, perhaps both, I don't know, but to discard someone, to leave someone dead on the ground and not allow such to be buried is an awful picture of contempt. Also, most uh, of the view, most uh, premillennial scholars would be of the view that because Elijah is one of the two who is pictured back in the New Testament in the Gospels as John the Baptist, John the Baptist had the spirits, the anointing of Elijah. John the Baptist wasn't a reincarnation of Elijah. Of course, we believe in resurrection, not reincarnation, but the spirit that anointed Elijah would also anoint John the Baptist. And because John the Baptist was decapitated by King Herod, a great type of the Antichrist, the suggestion has been by, or has been put forward by some premillennial scholars that the two witnesses will be publicly beheaded. It's possible. I'm not overly sure. But if Herod is a good type of the Antichrist, and he is, and John the Baptist was a type of Elijah, and he was, and he lost his head, then it's quite possible that Elijah and Moses, if those two are the two witnesses, will also lose their heads. But the worst part from verse 9, the people, the kindreds, the tongues, the nations shall see their dead bodies. And you ask yourself, how could that be possible? Now, if you are a pre-trist, I'd love to know how you deal with this piece of scripture. For those who don't know, pre-trists hold to everything. Back in the Old Testament, pointing to the Lord's coming, first coming, and second coming would take place and conclude around 70 AD. They have no future aspects of the second coming with literal uh, signs and wonders being performed left, right and centre. They spiritualise it. They say that it took place 70 AD. And yet I would like to ask our preacher's friends to interpret verse 9 to me. Number one, when did this happen? Two, who were the two witnesses? that were publicly executed, 70 AD. And three, how could it be possible for those living around the world, 70 AD, 170 AD, 270 AD, 370 AD, would be able to see what was going on outside of their own four walls? It would be impossible, of course, but for today, it's not. For today, we can see what happens just like that. We can communicate with people all over the world, just like that. We get to experience things, just like that, because we have the technology to do so. The point I'm trying to make is, number one, that the pre-trist view is false, not to mention foolish, and number two, that verse nine is still to occur, and they will see their dead bodies in Jerusalem, of course, those that would be living in Jerusalem when this event happens, and those around the world. And let me say this as well, that the book of Revelation is a true account of what is going to occur. This isn't a fanciful account. This isn't science fiction. One day this will happen. Not sure when. No one knows exactly when. You were told that very clearly back in Matthew 24, but it will happen. Mark my words. So their dead bodies, one last time we will move on, will lie in the street, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. They are the people and kindreds and tongues and nations. Jerusalem will be a global city around this time, shall see their dead bodies with their own physical eyes in Jerusalem, 
and around the world thanks to the internet and satellite television so on and so forth and shall not suffer not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves terrible picture of contempt and this goes back to the fact that man doesn't want the lord man doesn't love the lord in fact there's a great quote that if god lived on the earth they would smash his windows from a well-known movie i'll let you guess which movie that was from but that's a good quote if god lived on the earth they would smash his windows much truth in that let's move on verse 10 please and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth moses was called a prophet elijah was called a prophet enoch wasn't so if enoch would be one of the two witnesses what miracles did he do back in genesis to be a prophet would not only mean to preach a message proclaim a truth but it would also warrant doing a miracle or two moses would turn the river nile to blood elijah would call for famine and for three and a half years it didn't rain on the earth so these two prophets verse 10 cross-reference back to my two witnesses verse 11 cross-reference back to malachi chapter 4 and also cross-reference to mark chapter 9 and i was reading mark chapter 9 last night in fact i will just turn there very briefly would suggest to me that the two witnesses are going to be moses and elijah based on both of these two jewish old testament prophets being present at the lord's transfiguration uh mark chapter 9 verse 4 and there appeared unto them elias with moses and they talked with jesus elias being elijah and peter answered and said to jesus master it's good for us to be here let's make three tabernacles one for thee and one for moses and one for elias being elijah of course go back to revelation chapter 11 so i will say this that as far as i can see and i may be wrong but as far as I can see, the two witnesses are quite likely to be Moses and Elijah, based on Malachi 4, Mark 9, and Revelation chapter 11. But I shan't be dogmatic. But let's drill in to verse 10 from Revelation 11. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, those that were not raptured, those that were unsaved, and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Now, you can't miss it, can you? The suggestion, the inference has been put forward by many, and as I read it this morning, I can't help but notice that gifts being passed to each other, making merry, I'm thinking to myself, this could be Christmas Day. It kind of makes sense that this will take place on Christmas Day. Because these two prophets, Moses and Elijah, tormented them that dwelt on the earth well first of all they did that by burning people incinerating people from verses five and six those that had the audacity to challenge them but above that they tormented those that dwelt on the earth because of their preaching they preached the gospel 
they preached holiness, righteousness and judgment to come, like the Apostle Paul would do back in the book of Acts. And that's the kind of thing that grates with people. People who walk past a street preacher like myself and curse me, cuss me, try and get me to uh, be intimidated because what I am preaching is uh, not just causing them to become uh, unhappy with me, it's not just causing them to feel threatened, but it's also stirring them up, it's convicting them, and that's the job of a Bible-believing preacher. But here, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. They're going to rejoice over their public execution at the hands of a merciless antichrist. Shows you what sort of people we're reading about. A mate merry, Christmas day, party hats on. You get the picture and she'll send gifts one to another. You can't miss it. It's Christmas come early, perhaps, or a double Christmas day celebration, more likely. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. 11.2, you got the Gentiles outside of the holy city, and they will be agents, they will be servants of the Antichrist. And they will tread under their dirty feet for 40 and two months. They're going to pretty much desecrate Jerusalem, and along the way they will put two good men to death, the two witnesses. And as a result, there's going to be global celebrations and go back to that scripture from chapter 1, verse 7, and read it again to see what people are going to be like when the Lord returns. Look at verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now the Lord is going to turn their celebrations to commiserations. He's going to resurrect his two witnesses. And again, some Teachers suggest that these two Jewish individuals, never died, of course, are going to be uh, not only resurrected, of course, Moses would die. Let me just clarify that Moses would die back in the Old Testament. Elijah was raptured, and I'll come back to those two types in a moment. But if they were beheaded, if they lost their heads like John the Baptist did, then the suggestion has been that the Lord will put their heads back on their heads. What a sight. And on top of that, he'll resurrect them after three and a half days, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Just a quick footnote. Back in the Old Testament, Enoch was raptured before the flood, a picture of the church being raptured before the tribulation. Elijah was raptured before the Babylonian captivity, a picture of the rapture before the tribulation. Noah goes into the ark and he goes through the flood. The Lord preserves him, a picture of a tribulation saint who gets saved at the beginning of the tribulation, goes through the tribulation and comes out at the other end, preserved. Let's keep reading on, verse 12 please. And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither. And they sent it up to heaven in a cloud, and enemies beheld them. They heard a great voice. This voice wasn't just uh, for the two witnesses to hear. It was also for those on the earth, like you find over in, I think it's John chapter 12, when the Lord spoke to his son, and some thought an angel spoke to him, others thought that it thundered. But this public call, which is intentional, by the way, to uh, let those on the earth know that the Lord is angry, that they've killed his two witnesses, and as such, judgment will fall. But this 
uh, this public announcement is also alluded to from Revelation 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, you think of Freemasons, but I won't stretch it, hid themselves in the dens, and the rocks of the mountains. Now watch this, 16. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on a throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? They knew exactly what was occurring, and all this is spoken about in the past tense as well. So I will say this and move on, that when the Lord comes back, they know what is going on. When I say they, I mean those on the earth during the tribulation. They know what is going on and they know why such judgments are occurring. And yet, in spite of all that, they will not repent. What does the word of God say? You won't come to me that you might have life. Not that you can't come to me that you might have life, but that you won't come to me that you might have life. Revelation 11, 12, one more time. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Are they sent it up to heaven in a cloud? And their enemies beheld them. Again, watching television, streaming live on the internet. This could be Christmas Day. On top of that, Christmas Day is, as far as the commercial aspect is concerned, would be a great day. And it is a great day for people to make money, to buy TV time, radio time, because more people are at home watching television on Christmas Day watching films, movies, television shows, and therefore you're going to have perhaps billions of people glued to their television sets, their internet screens, their laptops, iPads, what have you, rejoicing at this public assassination. And yet don't worry, the Lord has anointed it, he has ordained it to be so. So don't think that what we're reading about this morning has somehow taken the Lord by surprise. No, the Lord is sovereign, and he allows such acts to take place. Verse 13. In the same hour was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain a man seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Back in the Old Testament, there was an account of seven thousand faithful Jews that refused to bow the knee to Baal, being a type of the Antichrist. And yet, sadly, during the tribulation, there will be at least 7,000 unfaithful Jews who will be more than happy to worship Baal, being a type of the Antichrist. And as a result, the Lord will kill them due to this great earthquake, verse 13. And the remnants, those that were not caught up in this wicked hysteria and celebrations, were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. And perhaps would go on to get saved, and yet one of my commentaries suggests that this would be short-lived. Like when the Lord came, he would heal people in their droves. They would go on rejoicing. And yet, Matthew 27, I think it is, let his blood be on us and on our children. Acts chapter 1, around 120 souls were in the upper room with the Lord Jesus Christ. It just shows you how quickly people can forget and how quickly they can turn against you. Verse 14, please. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Go back to my earlier comments. Much of Revelation overlaps. The first four chapters are primarily to the churches. 
five, six, seven, eight, seven trumpets, seven vials, the woes, the trumpets are all being inflicted on the earth. The two witnesses perhaps are calling down such judgments from heaven. I don't know. I made the case last week that it could be possible that they are like calling in airstrikes. And I gave you the analogy of the SES in Iraq during both Gulf Wars. I don't know. But the point is this, that the judgments which are mentioned different ways that the book of Revelation could all be speaking about the same judgment. I'm not overly sure about that. I can go either way on that. I do take Revelation to be uh, a chronological book, don't get me wrong, but at the same time I am very much aware that what you're going to read throughout Revelation is going to denote the Lord's return more than one way. And I will further elaborate on that, hopefully, before I get out or before I conclude this chapter. Look at verse 15, please. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. They shall reign forever and ever. This would suggest to me that we have just read the second conclusion to the book of Revelation. At the moment, the Lord, at best, is ruling in a spiritual sense, but at the end of the tribulation, he will rule in a physical sense. The kingdoms of this world, Britain, America, Canada, Germany, France, Singapore, New Zealand, Hong Kong, China, you get the idea? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. He now is going to rightfully rule over those nations and of his Christ, being Jesus, of course, and he shall reign forever and ever. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 9 from memory. Verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. You have reigned, past tense. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. But verse 16, and the four and twenty elders, twenty-four elders representing the church in Israel, which sat before God on their seats, not yet thrones. Most modern Bibles change seats to thrones, but please be aware that the Lord hasn't yet received his own throne. So he won't allow the twenty-four elders to have their thrones until he has received his throne. Fell upon their faces, and worship God. Never mind falling backwards or this slain in the spirit nonsense, which is found over in John 18 in reference to those that came to kill him, enemies. These people fell upon their faces. They were flat on their face, worshipping Almighty God. That's what you should be doing if you are saved, not falling backwards like somebody out of the asylum uh, center or the madhouse or the nuthouse, call it what you will. Saying, no doubt with a loud voice, and perhaps in Hebrew, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. At last, he's come back to take control of this cursed earth. So, it will come when it comes, and you can't rush such things. 18. And the nations were angry, and their wrath is come, and the time of the dead 
that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants of the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. The nations were angry, of course. We just witnessed a major US election. Billions of dollars was raised to allow one or two candidates to win. The year before last, we saw a UK general election. This summer, we saw a very important referendum. Such elections, such referendums, such public votes cost money. And I mean a lot of money. So you can see why the nations were angry. They don't want to abdicate. They don't want to surrender to the Lord. They want to keep on going. Look at Mugabe. He's 92, 93, and he still rules Zimbabwe with a rod of iron. Look at the dynasty over in North Korea. We're now looking at the third generation, are we? Look at Cuba. Look at China. Back in 2007, Fidel Castro stepped down. He was near death, or so he believed, and he gave the keys, he gave power to his brother, who was still ruling. There's no democracy in Cuba, and they will kill you if you try and bring it in. So I'm not surprised how the nations were angry, verse 18, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets. Thy servants, the prophets, Moses and Elijah, quite possibly, on top of that, the 144,000, let's not forget them, and to the saints, those that get saved. Never mind what the Catholic Church teaches. If you are born again, listen, if you are born again, if you have received Christ as your Savior, church age, tribulation, age, it makes a difference to me, you are a saint automatically. But look at this, and them that fear thy name. And I read that last night, and I thought of that scripture back in chapter 3, verse 8, and I thought how these two line up nicely. Revelation 3, verse 8, Jesus speaking, I know their works, behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And I thought to myself this, this crowd from chapter 3, I think it's the uh, uh, Philadelphia church from memory, didn't deny the Lord's name, meaning this, they didn't uh, worship Zeus or Caesar or Apollo, they didn't abandon him and follow some pagan deity, they remained faithful, and as a result, they will be spared the coming judgment, verse 10, which will come upon all the world. And I thought to myself this, how these verses all line up nicely. 3.8 again, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word. So they are Bible believers, on the top of that, and has not denied my name. They haven't succumbed, they haven't uh, thrown a lot in with Muhammad or Mary or the popes, but historically, from a first century uh, standpoint, they didn't embrace Zeus, Caesar or Apollo, all so-called deities. So when I read this first from 11, 18, the last part, and them that fear thy name, I think yes, they both go nicely, they complement each other, small and great, scholar or non-scholar, educated or uneducated. But look at this, and should just destroy them which destroy the earth. And I thought to myself, CND would love this. Save the whale would love this. People going around trying to get you to sign their petition to save the planet. Well, listen to this. Those that destroy 
the earth will be destroyed. I don't quite understand that, but it does suggest to me that people that are raping the earth, people that are destroying the earth, people that are abusing the earth at the end of the tribulation are going to be destroyed by the Lord. And uh, that's quite a thought to consider. Verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. The ark of his testament, the ark of the covenant, is in heaven. Never mind what these movies would have you believe, like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones or The Last Crusade. The ark of the covenant is in heaven. And there was seen in his temple, third heaven, the ark of his testament, the ark of his covenant, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail in the presence of holiness. There's an account back in the Old Testament when a chap came into contact with the Ark of the Covenant and he was too quick to uh, touch the Ark. He was too quick to get up close and personal and the Lord killed him. Which shows to me that if you don't worship him in spirit and in truth, it is an abomination to him. And on top of that, he does reserve the right to kill those that he wishes to. So there you are, 19 verses from Revelation chapter 11, done over two Sundays. And as always, thank you for bearing with me as I read these verses and try and further understand them. Just a couple of footnotes to throw in to this uh, message, if I may, and say this, that the two witnesses from 11... 5 and 6 are going to burn people. They're going to burn people up with fire, uh, which is a picture of the second death. And yet I was reading from chapter 9 last night how the two, uh, excuse me, how the four horsemen of the apocalypse are also going to be using fire to devour their enemies. And chapter 9, verse 17, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. So there's going to be quite a firefight taking place throughout the tribulation. 18. By these three was a third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. So the four horsemen of the apocalypse, minus one, which I think is probably the Antichrist, he is very much part of this phony peace, are going to burn people up with fire. Okay, they are going to come and attack the Lord's enemies. The two witnesses are going to come and attack the Lord's enemies with fire. You understand? You've got two different conflicts going on. But that wasn't enough from chapter 13, 13, I read it last week and I read it again, concerning the false prophet, which I think will come from the religious realm. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And I will discuss that next week, his deadly wound. 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, Antichrist, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, statue, idol, a hologram, call it what you will, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Some kind of copy, uh, some kind of uh, copycat mock execution, which I'll further elaborate 
we get to chapter 13. So I thought this last night, and I'll put it on tape now, that I think when the tribulation begins, you've got the four horsemen burning people up, like I say, with fire, picturing the second advent, picturing hellfire forever. You've got the two witnesses burning people up with fire, and you've got the false prophet calling fire down from heaven. It's almost like a circus. It's almost like a show. It's almost like those that are trying to outdo each other. And for those on the earth, they'll be completely tossed to and fro. They won't know whether they're coming or going. And that's why it's so important to get saved now, to stay close to the Lord. Don't allow yourself to be uh, swayed to and fro and to stay grounded in the Word of God. So there you are, 19 verses from Revelation chapter 11. And as such, this material is still to occur. And that's why I am a futurist, which incidentally is not a Jesuit conception. The Jesuits have no idea about the Word of God. They are dunces. They are biblical illiterates when it comes to the Word of God. I would uh, much rather listen to a child expound the scriptures than a Jesuit. So there you are, 19 verses, and I've gone over time, but I think it was worth spending the time to look at these verses and try and get what we can from them. And I'm happy to say that I've been able to also refer to my notes and incorporate such into today's study. So there we are. Chapter 11 has concluded, praise the Lord. And next week we'll get to Revelation chapter 12. Amen and amen.